Welcome to the Milestones Motivation and Money Podcast, hosted by Angel Radcliffe. Tune in as we discuss finances, success stories, and inspiring vibes that will help nurture growth. We are chatting with Mark Hirschberg, the author of The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. So Mark has been teaching the Career Success Accelerator program at MIT for years. And this is a very interesting conversation that we're going to have today, because if you think about it, why has no one ever taught us about these skills that we need in life and in business and in our professional world to succeed? So we're going to touch base on so many of those great aspects and how you can grow your career. While working as a startup executive and after teaching for 20 years at MIT's Career Success Accelerator Program, Mark curated this wonderful idea for the book. And we're going to dive into that conversation today. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to have you here to discuss career planning and communication and networking and all of the amazing things that you are doing, not only for people in corporate America, but the information that's really drilling down to being successful and those skills that you need to hone in on. It's certainly very necessary throughout the corporate landscape, throughout the small business landscape, throughout each and all of our individual careers. I'm sure we have some amazing people who are tuning in. Why don't you go ahead and give them a brief introduction of who you are? I began my career 20-some years ago as I graduated from MIT with a couple degrees into the dot-com era, and I began as a software engineer. I realized that to get where I wanted to go, I wanted to be a CTO, a chief technology officer. It wasn't just about being the best programmer I could be. There were a number of other skills, leadership, communication, team building, negotiating, all these skills were important to be capable of and successful in that role, but no one ever taught me. So I had to develop these skills in myself. As I went along that journey, I realized these skills aren't just for executives. They really help everyone at all stages of someone's career. So I began to train up people within my own organization, develop these skills in them. Shortly after, MIT had been getting feedback from corporate America saying, your students are great, really smart, but we want to see these skills, leadership, communication, negotiations, all these great skills, we're not finding them. And this is not unique to MIT. Similar feedback has been given to other colleges and universities. So MIT wanted to start a program that we colloquially refer to as the Career Success Accelerator to help our students learn these skills. When I heard they were planning this, I reached out and said, I've been doing this with my own teams, can I help? And MIT asked me to come help develop the program and then asked me to stay on and teach. And for the past 20 years, I've been teaching these skills to students at MIT. And that of course led to the book that I put out, The Career Toolkit. Oh, wow. MIT is such a prestigious institution. And for you to have this opportunity to build this partnership to really teach these skills for people heading off into their career, that's an amazing opportunity. That has to be like the highlight of your career. It is one of the wonderful things I get to do. And the time I spend each year teaching at MIT, it's some of the highlights of my year is working with these students not just for the privilege of being at such a great institution, but when we teach this class, you see the light bulb goes go on in the heads of the students. You can see where they get, 
oh, now I understand how to think about networking. Now I realize the importance of team building. And you really have such an impact on their future and their career. And, and speaking of a career, I'd like to go back to yours. So you were an engineer and now you're in tech. So that had to be one heck of a transition. I know for myself, I started my career in finance and transitioned to technology. And people always ask, how did you do it? I always say, you have to really plan out the things that you want to do and have a career plan. So when you made that transition, did you use some of these skills that you're teaching to transition your career? I did. Although I should note, it's not a total transition. I am still a full-time CTO. Right now I'm doing fractional CTO work. I'm consulting to different tech companies. So I use my tech skills each and every day, but I also use many of these other professional skills I've developed along the way. And to do that, it was a conscious plan, as you note. For all of us, when we decide where we want to go, whether that's directly up a career ladder within our discipline or shifting or pivoting to another type of career, what you want to do is look at that destination, understand what are the skills and experiences you need to be able to qualify and be successful in that role. And then what are those intermediate steps? You're not going to go from, let's say, being an engineer to being a VP of sales overnight. What do you need to do? You want to start getting exposed to sales. Maybe you become an engineer that supports a sales team. And so you're involved in some sales calls. And then from there, you become a salesperson. And then you move up and get a director of sales job where you're responsible for some region or territory. Only then do you start to qualify for the B VP of sales. So you want to map out this plan, which could take a number of years, and along the way have checkpoints. Are you developing skills? Are you knocking out experience that will lead you to where you want to go? That is absolutely amazing. And when we're thinking about a career plan for someone who is maybe in the beginning of their career or mid-level or senior level, is there any particular range in which you should create that career plan? It's really personal to you. And of course, as we think about people who might be more senior in their career or who might be a business owner and they say, my title's not really going to change, your career isn't simply your title. It's your capability. So don't only just think about what title you need to get to. Think about where you want to be in terms of your capability, responsibility. I recommend, certainly to younger folks, I think of having plans in a couple different timeframes. So there's your super long-term vision, right? This is your goal. This might be the title dream job 15, 20 years out. And again, for someone later in his or her career, you might already know what that is or be closer to it. But then you want to think about having timeframes short-term. That might be one year. Intermediate term, maybe three to five years. And then long-term, that might be 10 to 12 years. And these are not fixed times. Pick frames that are good for you. The reason you want these different timeframes, what you're looking at in the one-year timeframe, these are skills or experience that you want to gain very concretely. You have to have a plan. How will you, a year from now, have achieved this goal? Have that plan and execute on. And then a year from now, you check back. Did I do that or do I need to invest more time? Three to five years out, you're going to focus on, here's where I'm going. I might need to set myself up talk to my manager about how in the next year or two, I want to get involved in certain types of projects. Maybe you plan on going back to school for something. So you have a general idea. You're not executing on it today. That 10 to 12 year longer term plan, there it's more 
Yeah. Okay. It's like your project plans at work. Yeah. In three quarters, we're going to be working on this. It's going to change a lot between now and three quarters from now, but it's still there just so you have the plan mapped out. So when I hear that, and when I hear all of these different steps and timelines, I'm looking at that like goal setting. Would that be a, a direct correlation or a good comparison? That is exactly it. So you start from that very long-term dream goal, and then you backtrack, right? Just think about any project plan you've ever done. You start with what are we trying to accomplish, say in the next six months or year, how do you get there? There are certain milestones along the way. So you start with that end result, but then you cascade back, what are the steps along the way? And then once you have those, you go forward saying, how am I going to achieve these at least in this short-term part of the plan? And here's the important thing to remember about our plans. They are not fixed. Too many people think, oh, I, how do I know what I'm going to be doing in five years, let alone 10? Think about your projects at work. Whenever you do a long-term project, you start with a plan. We all know it's never going to go according to plan. Things will change. The actual result you're aiming for might even change along the way, and that's fine. This is your career. You can change the plan anytime you want. I do recommend sitting down at least once a year and reviewing, is this still what you want to be doing? But by having that plan, it helps you understand, are you on track, off track? If you're off track, is it because you're not achieving your goals? Or maybe you realize those weren't the goals you wanted to achieve. Reset the plan. And with me being a business person, I'm thinking of this like also business plan. Because when you're creating your business, you're creating the goals for your business, how you want your business to succeed, but career plan is more how you want yourself to succeed. And you talk about one of the points that you pointed out is revisiting the career plan. And in my mind, that's the same that you do with a business plan. So we can really compare this to so many different things, but I want to hone in on the subtitle of your book, which is essential skills for success that no one taught you. And there's so many categories that you're focusing on, like we're discussing career planning, but there's also networking, communication, leadership skills, so many more. And just for the person who's listening, who has absolutely no idea how to create this career plan, because again, no one has taught them, what is the first step when they're trying to write these things down? And then now they're at a roadblock because they're saying, as you mentioned, they may not know what they're doing in five years they have a slight idea, should they start asking questions, get a mentor, or how do you suggest that they take those steps to create it? Begin by asking questions. And in addition to having them in the book on my website, which we'll talk about later, there is a free download that lists a number of starting questions. These are questions such as, what type of lifestyle do you want? What do you want to get out of your job? Are you motivated by money? by challenge? Do you want to be in a very nine to five regimented job? Or do you say, I don't want to be chained to a desk? Do you like working with numbers? Do you want to meet new people all the time? Look at the different aspects of a job, but also your life. When do you want to have children? Where do you want to live? Because of course your job is part of your larger life and needs to fit into the life you want. As you start to answer these questions, and it's okay if you don't have answers to all of them, but you start to think about them, have answers to some, that's going to help you narrow down what type of jobs you might want today or in the future. And then as you begin to explore those, talk to other people, more senior people, talk to peers, talk to anyone, 
ask them about their jobs and their careers and hear what sounds interesting, what sounds horrible, what paths you might need to get to those interesting jobs. And that's going to help you formulate your plan. I'm so glad you mentioned talking to other people, because I think this is a great transition point to honing in on networking and communication. Two other skills that most people really do not focus on. Typically with my mentees who are coming straight out of college or they may be early on in their career, the one thing they tell me is that they don't like networking. And I focus on this at the end of season one of my podcast on how important it is to actually build your network and have people in your corner and people you can turn to and ask questions. So for someone who they haven't created a network, they have no mentor in their life or no one they can call, how do you suggest they take that first step to actually build that circle of trust to have someone that they can actually open up to about their career? Now, here's the important thing. Most people actually do like networking, even introverts like myself. What they don't like is this mechanical artificial process that people mistake as networking. What do I mean by that? We have this mentality that networking is about expanding the number of people we know. It's that salesperson who goes to a conference and 30 minutes later comes back with 30 different business cards, or it's the how many people are you connected to on LinkedIn. But here's the way to think about it. saying someone you're connected to on LinkedIn is in your network is like saying someone you matched with on Tinder is now your significant other. We know that's not true, right? No, it's, oh, look, I just swiped. So did she. Great. You know, that's it. That's my future partner. No, that's someone who maybe, possibly, you might have a date with. And if it goes, maybe it leads to multiple dates. And that's really how we need to think of all of our relationships. When you meet someone at a conference for five minutes or connect on LinkedIn, that person isn't really in your network. That person's in your address book now. You have that person's contact information, but you have to build that relationship. In the Tinder example, that's done through dates. In the corporate example, it's about getting to know this person. And it might be by corresponding by email, having phone calls. Maybe it's meeting for coffee or lunch. Maybe you're talking about a potential business deal. Maybe you just want to learn more about this person, about her job, about her career, about what her company does but you need to invest time in building that relationship. Don't think of networking as I have to meet a whole bunch of strangers and convince them to give me their business cards. Think about it as I need to meet one person and build a relationship with that person. Because when it comes down to it, when you need a favor, when you need access, when you say, boy, I really want to talk to the head of procurement at this company, who's most likely to make that introduction? Is that going to be someone you met last week for three minutes? Or is that someone who you've known for five years where you have a good relationship? So think of networking as relationship building. We all know how to do it. And don't think about quantity of people. Think about the quality of those relationships. And when you think about it that way, it becomes much more palatable, especially to those of us who don't just want to meet a bunch of strangers. Oh, absolutely, Mark. And I wanted to get more into the communication part because I think that's where some people really have the trouble. So of course, communication and networking really go hand in hand. And I'm so glad that you mentioned how you're an introvert and introverts can still be successful at networking because that's one thing I always hear is 
I'm an introvert. I don't like meeting people. And I say, it's all about the communication. It doesn't necessarily have to be like face-to-face or as you mentioned, getting the most business cards. When we talk about communication, what are some different ways that people are miscommunicating in the workplace or in business? Now, communication itself, that is a very broad topic. We could spend weeks talking about all the different aspects of communication. I like to focus on a really fundamental type of communication that applies to all of us. So we're going to use a very simple model, and I expand upon this in the book. Think about left-brain people and right-brain people. We're all probably familiar with the concept. Left-brain people, very analytical, very organized process. If I am trying to pitch an idea to a left-brain leader in my company, the way I'm going to approach this is say, I've prepared this PowerPoint deck and we've got 17 slides and each slide has three bullet points. I'm going to walk you through each of the points and how logically they all fit together at the end of this. You're going to see all the details, the plan. It's all going to make sense. And you're going to, of course, want to say yes. If I did that to someone who is an extreme right brain person, that kind of holistic, maybe head in the clouds, big visionary person, they don't want to sit through 17 PowerPoint slides. They're going to get bored by slide number two. That's not how I would want to communicate to that person. For that person, I'd want to take a storytelling approach. I'd sit down and say to her, we're going to talk about this great opportunity and how this company can be the leader in this space in the next five years. And by the end of this talk, you're going to be sold on how we can shift from where we are today to being in this great, wonderful new position that we're all going to be excited about. I'm going to take a much more emotional appeal in this type of pitch. It's not going to be, let me logically go through point by point. Now, this was a very simple, contrived example of a very left brain person and a very right brain person. But all of us have these mental models, and it's more than just left and right. Once we begin to understand the mental models of the people we're communicating with, we start to recognize we're going to have to adjust our communication to resonate with their thinking style. That's extremely interesting. I've never thought about communication being in different mental models, and it's definitely something I'm interested in researching a bit more. (laughs) Think, Think about it this way. If I were to go to France to give a talk, I unfortunately don't speak French, so I'm going to have to give in English. I am asking now every member of my audience to listen in English. And because they are native French speakers, they're going to have to hear the English and in their head, do the translation back into their native French. It reminds me of when you have a computer and you're saying 10% of the computer's CPU is now going to be used to do this translation. So there's only 90% left to actually understand and interpret. So I'm putting this tax on their thinking. And that makes it harder for them. Better would be if I was in France and I knew French, I'd say, oh, I'm going to pay that tax myself. I'll translate my whole talk into French. And then when I speak, they don't have to do a translation. They can focus 100% of their capacity, 100% of their brain CPU, just on the understanding. That's going to make it much easier for my ideas to really impact and, and sink in. Now, when we're talking to different people, we might not be using a different language like English versus French, 
but we are using those different styles of that analytical versus holistic or the other types of styles I talk about. In the Mark, you're going to have me researching this all day <laughs> because I'm, I'm sitting over here and my brain is just going a million miles a minute. I'm like, what in the heck? But again, these are things that we're not really taught. I want to talk about other methods of communication because communication is not always verbal. And when we're communicating with someone, whether if it's at work or in our business, we can communicate with other things. And I don't want to give it away because you're the expert here. So how do we communicate in other ways aside from verbal communication? One important thing I see over and over again in our organizations is we have so many communication channels. We have face-to-face meetings. We have phone call, we have instant messaging, we have text messaging, we have email, there might be some type of uh, wiki or other type of document system. And one challenge I see, there's so many great ways to communicate, but we all don't naturally communicate the same way. We all know there are some people who much prefer a face-to-face meeting, others prefer email, others prefer instant messaging. And this can be frustrating especially if you like to send emails, but someone keeps interrupting you with instant messages. Even more is if they expect a quick response to an instant message, but not to an email, whereas you might be in the mindset of email should have a response, instant messaging, that's for the low priority items. So it's okay to ignore those until maybe the end of the day when you have more time. And that's going to cause frustration because different people have different expectations. Within our organizations, And this might be just at the team level, not necessarily the department level or company level, but whatever level is important, you need to have a discussion within the group and say, how are we going to use each of these channels? When and how this channel should be used for this purpose. This is just for quick questions. This is for bigger topics. This channel, there's the expectation of a response within a few hours or within a day. This one is no expected time or It doesn't matter what you set, as long as everyone has a clear understanding of when to use a channel and the expectations around the response in those channels. Thank you so much for the clarification. I I want to talk more about introverts because again, we talked about introverts and networking, but in general communication, someone who's an introvert, what is a way that a person who's introverted can be heard more at work or within their business, honing in on their audience. Unfortunately, our business community, the larger one within the US, tends to encourage extrovert behavior. We come into a meeting, we sit around a table and someone says, here's a question, what do we do? And the extroverts want to just start throwing out ideas. And they're like, oh, what about this? Maybe we can do that. And the introvert's saying, no, everyone be quiet. I just want to think for a minute before I come up with something. And it's hard for the introvert to focus and come up with a good answer. What I recommend is that you allow for a balance. If you're going to have a meeting to discuss something, ahead of time, say, here are the questions, here are the challenges. Those who are introverts might say, good, I'm going to research this ahead of time. I'm going to think about it. And then I can show up to the meeting and say, here's the idea I quietly thought about in the past hour. The extroverts might say, I just, I need to be in the room. I need to be bouncing ideas off people. So I'm going to wait until that moment. But this way, everyone gets a chance to respond within their own style. 
So don't just say we're only going to have a discussion in the meeting. I'm going to surprise you. I'm going to bring it up on the spot. We discuss it. Case is closed. Have that chance for the introverts to think about before the meeting or after or both and recognize people might have different styles. You can even ask your team, tell me, how would you like to think through problems? Do you like to think through it in an open discussion? Do you like to think of it in a quiet time and everyone submits answers? There's different approaches. Ask your team how they would like to deal with these challenges and how they'd like to communicate. When we're talking about communication, I know one of the things that you've mentioned is communicating with your image. How does that happen? Can you give a little bit more detail on that? And what do you actually say like with an image? All of us have a personal brand, some type of reputation. Before this podcast episode, most of the audience has probably never heard of me. But why are you even listening to me? One of the first things you've heard is first, I've been invited on the podcast. So presumably I'm not just some random person you picked off the street. You saw my background. You qualified me in some way. Now they also heard I went to MIT, I teach at MIT. Says, so okay, he's probably pretty smart, right? You're starting to make inferences about me based on the information you have. Now, here's an experience I had early in my career. I was down for an interview in Washington, DC, and I'm in some conference room, I'm chatting with people before the interviewing was, the formal interviewing began. And as we're talking, we're chatting about corporate culture. This woman came in, she's listening to the conversation, and she asked after a few minutes, I'm curious, are you just a business guy or do you have any tech skills? She had no idea who I was, just knew I was there interviewing for a job. And I said, oh, actually two of my degrees from MIT are in computer science. She said, oh, that was it, done, mic drop. Now that wasn't my intention, but instantly she heard MIT and said, okay, this guy is technical. Computer science degrees from MIT? No one ever questions, oh, can Mark really handle the math? Will this be too hard for him? No, I've qualified myself by saying, am I, that comes through loud and clear. But what no one would necessarily believe about me back then is, do I understand corporate culture? Do I know how to read a P&L? Do I know anything about marketing? Do I have any people skills? Because you don't think of that as associated with MIT. The MIT brand I carry doesn't convey that message. People go to business school, they carry the message, oh yes, I've been trained in all aspects of business, I'm generally knowledgeable, I know about negotiating and leadership and all these different areas. That's what you're signaling there. When you write a book, when you have a podcast, when you hold a certain title or work for a certain company, people start to make assumptions about you. And that can be good or bad. It's important to understand what is your reputation Hopefully that's helping you, that's taking you towards the job that you want, but if it's not, so for example, okay, Mark's a very technical guy, great, and that's important maybe to be a CTO, but does Mark have people skills? Okay, how do I convince people I have people skills? You can do that in how you convey yourself in the projects that you work on. You can do things like give talks or write a book. At this point, people now hear Mark Hirschberg, the career toolkit, Oh, he knows a lot about career skills. That's how I burnish my credibility there. So there are different approaches, but begins by understanding what is your reputation and then what do you want your reputation to be? And let me give you a great tip from my friend, Dory Clark. She's a wonderful business writer. She, uh, one of her top selling books is Reinventing You. Go to the people in your group. Those might be your coworkers, might be your friends, whatever group you're concerned about your reputation in. 
and say, can you give me three words that describe who I am? Just pick whatever three words come to mind, collect those words and start to look for patterns. For me, if everyone says intellectual or quantitative or good with computers, like, ah, okay, I'm consistently conveying that brand, but no one's saying, Mark, people person, I have to go change my reputation if that's how I want to be perceived. So this is a technique all of us can use to understand and to manage our reputations. Amazing. And of course, there's another quote that's out there that I live by from Warren Buffett that says, it takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. Absolutely. Yes. I'm big on integrity. And this is why the last chapter of the book is about ethics because we unfortunately don't talk about ethics, personal ethics and corporate ethics. We don't talk about enough within the business world. Yes, definitely something else that, sh that we should discuss a bit more, not only if you're a small business owner, but also in corporate. And Mark, these are some amazing topics. I want to go back to when you actually wrote the book and that entire thought process, because I know that you went through a journey yourself and typically what happens is for people who are growing and you're learning all these things, we want to share those things with other people. When you initially wrote the book, like what was going through your head? Were you saying like, why is there not a book on this already? Or why wasn't anyone teaching me th this in school? Or what were some of those things that were going through as you were doing that project? Well, those were certainly the thoughts going back 20 some years ago, where I was trying to develop this in myself and others. Oh, someone must have created a book. There must be tools out there. And I was shocked that they did not exist. There was no great, here's the resource to, to take you through it. When we were developing the class, we spent a lot of time on what's important and why and pulling in that research from corporate America and other sources. Now, over the years, as I mentioned, when I teach, I could see the light bulb go on in the heads of these students because with each of these topics, there are concrete tips that we'll give you about when networking, how to send an introductory email to introduce people or what's the proper way to ask for a business card. There are lots of great tips but there's also this one big mindset shift we talked about with networking. It's not about collecting lots of cards. It is about building that relationship. And when you go from, I just need 20 business cards in the next day to, I want to get to know you as a person, you change how you approach networking. Each of these topics, there's that mindset shift. And when that happens to a student, I just see it lights up on their face and go, okay, now they get, now they're going to start going down the right path and developing these skills sooner. I love that feeling. And I wanted it to happen to not just our students, but as many people as possible, because we know these skills are not just for MIT students. They're not even just for college students. They are universal for everyone. So for years, I was encouraging MIT who pioneered online education. We had the first free online classes. I was encouraging MIT, let's take this, let's put it online, or let's give it to other universities and have them teach it. For various reasons, the program didn't have the capacity to do that. So when I was, I had some downtime in 2019 when I began working on this, I just thought I was going to write up some notes for the class that will help the students to know I can share these notes online. I really thought I was writing about 20 pages of notes. 20 pages became 40, became 80. By the time I passed 100 pages, I thought, this might be a book and not just a couple notes to go online. And that's how I wound up creating the book. 
It's so awesome when we have these ideas and we put the plan into action, and especially a book, because I'm also an author. And so I know the painstaking process that is to actually write a book and publish and, and go through that. So I, I want to really get into another topic, which is something that we are also not taught in school or really growing up. And of course, my background is all about finances and I talk about money and that's something that's pondered for, I've pondered on for years. I'm like, why is this not taught in schools? Why are we not taught about money? Why are we not taught about budgeting and investing? And it's almost like you're just going through life and you're learning on your own. And then you learn from your mistakes. And unless you've had someone successful sit you down really young and, and instill these financial values. So of course, with my brand, um, the brand has fallen on a budget. And I always like to ask my podcast guests, what does that term mean to you? It means having that plan, being focused on your budget, on what you're trying to achieve and how you're going to achieve it. And just like we talked about with careers, with your financial planning, if you don't have a clear sense of your goal, whether you're trying to pay down debt, save up for retirement, fund a business, whatever your goal might be, if you don't have that clear goal and don't have a plan for how to get there, then you're just wandering around wandering in your career, wandering in your financial planning, and the odds that you're going to achieve your goal are pretty slim. So it's important that we have a clear goal and we have a plan for how to achieve it. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Mark. I have enjoyed this conversation on career planning and communication. And for people who would like to purchase your book, where can they find the book? You can find it on Amazon. It's carried online by many local bookstores if you'd like to support them or they can order it directly for you. You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. There, not only can you see where to order the book, you can learn more about it. You can get in touch with me or follow me on social media. You can download the free app for Android or iPhone. It contains many of the great tips. And when you read a book like this, it's so easy to forget it a month later. That app is going to have a little notification each day that's going to pop up to remind you, or you can open it up, say, right before a networking event, open it up and say, oh, quick, what were those tips Mark gave me? I want to flip through them right before I go into that event. That's available from the website. And then there's a whole page of resources. I mentioned earlier, you can download for free that list of starring questions to help you think through your plan. There's other free downloads. There's links to other great books and other free resources online. All of this at the website, The Career Toolkit Book. I would like to go back to your course that you are teaching at MIT for the Career Success Accelerator. Now, can anyone sign up for that program? Unfortunately, no. You do need to be an undergrad at MIT. I hope one day they start to offer it as a more general program or get to other universities. But a lot of the concepts that we teach in that class are now in the book. And so you can start to learn it on your own. The other great thing to do for these skills, create a peer learning group. And there's a free download on the website that explains how to do this. Create a group of people. So you're not just reading and learning on your own because these skills are best learned when you discuss with other people. If you and I and a few others, we sit down to talk about leadership. I'm going to say, yeah, I had this challenge. I tried doing this. I say, Mark, why didn't you try doing it that way? Or I might have approached it in a different way. Oh, wow. I never would have thought of that. So by having this small group discussion, you're going to have a much richer experience. You're going to learn these skills in a much deeper way. 
And so you can do it if you want to use my book for it. Great. If you don't, I don't want you to think I'm just trying to get you to get your friends to buy my book. Download that free guide. Use free online resources. Use great podcasts like this one. It doesn't matter what the content is. You just take some starring content and have that discussion in your group. And that's going to help you enrich your understanding of these skills. Yes. And so everyone, make sure you pick up a copy of the book, The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success that No One Has Taught You. Do you have any last words for the listeners? Thank you for giving me your time. I hope you invest some of your time, even just a few hours per year in developing these skills on your own or ideally as part of groups of people, because it's going to have a massive impact on your career and your financial success. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with Angel online on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Miss RMBA. That's M-I-S-S-R-M-B-A. Be sure to subscribe and review. Join us next time as we continue to empower you through milestones, motivation, and money. 